So as mentioned, um, you can follow along with the, the notes online, or so you can open up your Bible if you want. Um, the uh, scripture is going to be projected behind me as well in just a moment. So if you'd like to open up to Philippians chapter 1, uh, the title of the series that we're going through is Content of Contentment. And if you missed week one, you can feel free to check out our podcast and catch up if you'd like. Uh, we're actually doing a journey through Philippians, and so we're going to pick up in verse 12 of Philippians and continue on through the first part of uh, verse 18. So I will just go ahead and read that. Uh, just so you are all aware of the context of where we're picking up Philippians, Paul's in a Roman prison, and he's writing this letter to the church that he planted some 10 years ago in Philippi. And so he's writing this letter at this point in prison, and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your presence in this place. Lord, as we're mindful of uh, leaning in to your presence this morning, I pray that you would remain in this place and that we would uh, leave this place having had uh, an authentic encounter with the living God for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Everyone said. Amen. Amen. So we're picking up uh, Paul here uh, in prison for preaching the gospel. And uh, I, I think there's some um, amazing stories that we can engage in when we consider the reality of, um, of perspective in different scenarios and different environments. I have, uh, I have three children. And uh, they're lovely and wonderful because they take after their mother. Uh, but one thing that, uh, that I remember uh, pretty profoundly early on, one of my kids doing, we had this little uh, chair. It was like kind of like a little, almost like an easy chair for kids in the corner. And the kids would kind of take turns sitting there. And I remember one day in particular, one of my kids was upside down on the chair. And they're upside down on the chair. Their face is like purple. And they're laughing hysterically. And I'm thinking, oh, my Lord, I just wrecked one of my kids. Like, I wasn't paying attention. They've turned upside down for too long. Their face is purple. They're laughing. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And so I'm like, hon, you shouldn't be like that. You can't be upside down for that long. Like, your head, all the blood is rushing to your head. And they're laughing and laughing. I'm like, what is so funny? Are you okay? How many fingers am I holding up? And, uh, it, and through the laughter, they get out. You're walking on the ceiling. And they just start laughing hysterically. And I'm like... No, no, babe, I'm, I'm, I'm not walking on the ceiling. You're upside down. You're upside down. And so I'm trying to get them to turn around. Finally, they turn upside down. They're like, oh, I'm not kidding. You were just on the ceiling. How did you do that? And, uh, and, and she's 14. 
Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was when she was probably like four or five at the time. And, uh, and the, the thing that is funny about that is the reality that our position informs our perspective, right? Our circumstances inform our perspective. But I want to tell you, it's even more than our circumstances. It's often more even what we think we know. I remember early on in life, I had this, um, this I don't know, infatuation, I guess, with silver-colored coins. I say silver-colored because we all know that there's like zero silver in any of the coins we use these days, unfortunately. Uh, but I used to think that they were actual silver, and I, I just, I wanted to collect coins. I didn't care about pennies once I realized they were worth a penny. Um, I was more enamored with what I called silver. And so I would want to gather coins all the time, all the time. And I remember one time in particular, I had some quarters in my pocket, and uh, we had a soft tire, and my dad pulled over in the, the gas station. He said, uh, hey, Claude, do you have any quarters on you? We, the air is dangerously low. We need to fill the tire up. I don't have any quarters. And I was like, um, I, I do, but I, I don't think I want to give them to you. Uh, they're mine. And he's like, no, son, like, it's pretty important, like, we were pulled over. It's one of those. Um, it was one of those places where you vacuum your vehicle, so it wasn't like you could go in and get changed. There was no change machine back then. It, you know, I'm super old. So uh, in either case, it was just you, you either had quarters or you didn't. Some of you remember those days, and uh, usually you had to use them to make phone calls. That's a whole other sermon. But anyway, uh, the uh, the fact is, back then it cost fifty cents to use the machine that now costs a dollar fifty. And I will drive to find free air, but that's another sermon also. Um, and so my dad's like, no, just give me the two quarters because we need it, and I will give you the money back. And I was like, ah, basically saying, I'm not so sure you're good for it, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I was like seven, six years old, something like that. I was actually 21. No, I'm just kidding. And so um, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I don't want to give up these quarters. And he goes, no, son, I'm telling you, you will get the money back. He said, here, listen. He pulls out his wallet. He pulls out a dollar, and he says, I will give you a dollar for your two quarters. And I'm like, you can't fool me with that. <laughs> you can't fool me with that. Like, that's paper. This is silver. <laughs> and so I remember holding them in my hand and be like, no, that is not a good deal. He's like, I am giving you two times what I want. And I was like, no. If you had two times, there'd be four quarters. He's like, this is four quarters. I'm like, no, that's a piece of paper. He's like, no, we need air in the tire, son. Give me the two quarters. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I will not exchange 50 cents for a dollar. I don't believe you. He said, I will give you $5. And I was like, let me see it. He pulled out a $5 bill. I was like, you can't fool me. That's one piece of paper. <laughs> and so he, uh, it, was, it was a long interaction that ended with me giving him the quarters compliantly, I'm sure. Uh, but in either case, he gave me the quarters. He gave me two quarters when I got home because I would not take the dollar. I wouldn't take it. I didn't think it was a good deal. Perspective. It's perspective, right? Our perspective is always informed by what we think we know. You don't grow out of that. You don't grow out of that. Today, every one of us is in this room and we have a certain perspective based on what we think we know. And here's the deal. Our perspective is positional, right? If you want to change your perspective, you move your position. That's the way that it works. And oftentimes, our perspective 
interprets our circumstances. Okay? So our perspective is positional, but it often interprets our circumstances. And we're talking about the content of contentment. And if we talk about contentment, what the definition of contentment is, it's defined as, as satisfaction, as, as, a, as a, your mind being at ease, this idea of, of peace, contentment. And it's fair to say that contentment is also joy, that, that one of the contents of contentment at face value might be that there's joy in your life. And no matter who you are today, and I realize that we have all different types of people in the room, people that have served the Lord their entire lives for as long as they can remember, and people that are thinking about crossing that line of faith or have a ton of objections in this room, uh, thought that they were coming to college and <laughs> are in a church service instead. But the, the fact is there, there's all different types of people in this room, and regardless of who you are and where you come from, you want joy. Every single one of us, we, we want joy, we want happiness, we, we want this idea of contentment. And if you're sitting there this morning and say, oh, I gave up on that a long time ago, that's exactly what it means. It, it doesn't mean that you stopped being in pursuit of it, it just means that you've become so cynical in your pursuit of it that you're not confident it can happen. The fact is, we all want it. We want joy. The problem is, our joy is connected to our circumstances. You see, our perspective interprets our circumstances, which informs whether or not we have joy or despair. I'll prove it to you in a very easy example. If it was storming out right now, just torrential downpour, rain, 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 rain. That's the circumstance. It's storming out. To the farmer who's been praying for rain so that their crops survive, they're filled with joy. It's an answer to prayer. Look at the rain, honey. Tears streaming down their face. Finally, the Lord has answered our prayer. The rain is plentiful. Why they talk that way, I don't know. They're farmers. <laughs> but to this, on the same day, to the vacationing family who had planned to go golfing on this day, they look out and they see rain and despair. They're devastated. Why? Because the circumstances take away their joy. They had a plan and it doesn't work out. You see... Our perspective interprets our circumstances, and that informs our capacity to find joy or to find despair. It's huge to understand because if your joy is connected to your circumstances, you'll never find true contentment. You'll never find it because our circumstances always change. And oftentimes, we're, we're a result of our circumstances. They're being done to us. Our situation is as a result of others having impact on our lives. And so the question that I want to ask you this morning that I want you to contemplate is this. In what ways is your joy connected to your circumstances? If you're honest for just a moment and say, listen, how much of my joy is really wrapped up in my circumstances? When things are easy and they're going your way, are you filled with joy? Smiles and hugs and things great. I got money in the bank account. All my bills are getting paid. This is amazing. Great day. Joy, joy, joy. Why? Because my circumstances are good. But when things are hard, it feels like everything and everyone is against me. Filled with despair. Devastated. Today's going to be a bad day. Are you influenced by your circumstances. Because if you are, if, if your joy is connected to your circumstances, then get ready to be on a roller coaster that will never end. 
Joy, despair. Joy, despair. Why won't things go my way? I don't know. I'm a victim. I'm not sure. And you'll be on this roller coaster ride of life. I want to tell you, circumstantial living is not life to the fullest. Let me say that one more time. Circumstantial living is not life to the fullest. Christ said he wants to give you life and life to the fullest. Circumstantial living is not that. It's a roller coaster. Verse 12 says this. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in prison yet again. If you want to have your mind blown about your current reality and, and how good it actually is, read the story of Paul's life. Shipwrecked, in prison constantly, beaten with rods. I mean, like, the dude, lit, every time he turned around and be like, Jesus loves you, they're like, boom, boom, beat him, beat him, throw him in prison. He's like, wow, this is getting old. And we're like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of gloomy and doomy out today. My day's rough. And so we can, we can kind of get caught up in this reality of comparison even, right? We can look at Paul, and I could tell you right now, so look how bad Paul had it. Suck it up. Your life's pretty good. And you're like, okay, I'll stop complaining. That's no way to live either. You see, what, what we have to understand is, is what the end of what Paul is saying here. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul has a Christ-centered perspective. He's living his life in line with the gospel. How about you? How about you this morning? I want you to take a moment just for a second. Think about your relationships. Your parents, brothers, sisters, children, coworkers. I want you to think about your hardships, the difficulties, things that go wrong. Your victories, stuff that's gone right. What if, just what if you looked at those things through the lens of advancing the gospel. If, if you took a moment and just looked at those things through the lens of advancing the gospel, I gotta be honest with you, I hate stuff like that. Like I, I hate being in a, in a church service or in a setting where, where a, a pastor talks about this amazing man of God that's been beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned and yet he's like, but it's advancing the gospel. And, and someone looks at me like, how about you? And you're like, I, I stink. I don't know. Like I'm really angry sometimes. I've never been beaten or shipwrecked for the gospel. The reason why I personally dislike the idea and why I think a majority of us might it's because our responses are really one of two things, typically. One, we kind of check out. Check out and say, listen, I'm not, I'm not interested in changing my life. Like, this is one of those talks. I'm not interested in, in looking at everything through this lens of advancing the gospel. It's, it's too hard, you might say. And I, I want to tell you, this objection is really connected to the fact that maybe you don't fully get it that maybe you're thinking of the gospel as exchanging something that is less valuable. I think of this in terms of kind of like a kid with two quarters and someone's trying to give them a dollar. And you're like, I'm not going to be fooled that way. Like, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to give up the joy that I'm trying to pursue in my life, the stuff that I'm buying, the things that I'm compiling, the stuff that I'm acquiring. I'm not going to fall for that trick. I'm not going to fall for the trick of exchanging something that you're telling me 
is more valuable. And so we disengage. But I want to tell you, if you're really thinking in terms of advancing the gospel, if you're really looking at this reality, you'll realize that what it is that you're trying to exchange is far less valuable than what's being offered. And we'll get more to that in a second. The second response to this really is, uh, if, if we're more spiritual in the room, I suppose, if you're more spiritual in the room to, today, the temptation might be to lean into behavior modification and say, yes, I get it. I need to look at all my situations through the lens of advancing the gospel. Mm, praise God, right? And then we have two options with that, all right? We have two options with that also. Uh, the first one is like, oh, man, I'll tell you what, I am going to be super creepy spiritual. Where like everything I say has something to do with God, right? I had a bad day, but the devil can't get me. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about, dude? And like, <laughs> I'll tell you what, praise God. You're like, you're weird. Like, you're creepy, right? And so the world is like, I don't even understand that. And what I love about the text here is that Paul is saying that based on what it is that he's experienced, the imperial guard is being influenced by the truth of the gospel. So that means to me, Paul's not creepy. It means to me that he's not creepy. He's not freaking them out. He doesn't say, and the imperial guard, well, they stay far away from me because I'm a little kooky for the gospel. It doesn't say that. And so I think we need, we need to come to a place where we don't over-spiritualize the difficulties of our lives because that's delusional. Right? When you go through difficulty and you sit with a plastic smile and you're like, but praise the Lord. Praise God. He's got a plan. You're like, you're weird. You're jacked up. That doesn't make any sense. Instead, when someone's sitting there with tears running down their face and they're feeling the pain and the depth of the hurt and they're saying, but I'm going to have hope and I'm going to have joy because I know that God's at work even though I don't see it, that moves people. That moves people. An authentic connection of looking at your circumstances through the advancement of the gospel. And of course, the other extreme of this idea, if you're not going to try to be hyper-spiritual, then you say something absurd like, it's true, you know what I need to do is just stop sinning. That thing I'm doing, that evil that, that's gripping my life, or whatever it is that, that you're feeling convicted about, in your moments alone with God, or whatever that looks like in your life, you're like, you know what, I'm just going to stop that. I don't know if you guys like watch SNL, or if you remember, there was a, a clip years back where... Um, Someone looks, he's playing the role of a psychologist, and he looks at someone that's troubled, and they come in the room, and he goes, hmm, hmm, and he listens to the whole thing, he goes, yeah, um, stop it. And she's like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, uh, stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. And she's like, no, I need help. I need help. Yeah, you need to stop it. And that's the whole sketch is just him yelling at her, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And I feel like sometimes that's what churches feel like, right? So he just gets up in the front, it's like, hey, listen, just stop it. It's disgusting. <laughs> stop doing that. Just stop it. Try harder. Lean in. Be more spiritual. Look, Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten. Just stop it. Like, I can't stop it. I can't, right? Because behavior modification crushes us. It crushes us because you can never stop sinning. I've been, I've been on the retreats. I've been, I've been on the trips where, where you're at an altar and you cry real tears and you're like, I'm going to stop doing it. You know, and then, you know, on the way back, like, I'm so done with this. Beep, 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 beep. Like, oh no. I think I just ruined what I said I'd stop, you know. Ironically, both of these situations, both of our responses to this conversation, this idea of not being interested all the way to being super spiritual, 
honestly and obviously both extremes keep us as the functional saviors of our own lives. God doesn't want us to do either of them. And so we're doomed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We can't, we can't keep trying because, listen, our best behaviors and our best efforts will not bring us joy. They won't. If you don't believe me, you haven't tried hard enough lately. You see, because for other people in the room, <laughs> you've tried to get joy enough to where you realize no matter how hard you try, you're not getting it. And for others of us in this room, we've already tried to, to compile enough things to bring ourselves joy. Maybe you're in the room and you just don't have enough stuff yet. And so keep on your pursuit until you finally get enough stuff, until you finally realize, you know what, it doesn't matter how much stuff I get, it's not filling the joy void in my life. I can't fill it up. You see, the key to contentment is to change your perspective. It's to change your perspective. If you want contentment, if you want a sense of joy and peace in your life, you need to change your perspective. Now, here's the problem with that, is that we want to change our circumstances. We don't want to change our perspective. We want our circumstances to change. I just, I want this, this hard thing to stop. And God's saying, but can you change your perspective? Like, no, no, I don't think so. I, I want the situation to change. But if you want joy, you need to change your perspective. Paul shows us that the key to Christ-centered perspective is to stay focused on Jesus. Sounds easy, right? It almost sounds like a knee-jerk reaction, like, listen, just focus on Jesus. It's more difficult than that. It's more difficult than you might think because it starts by loving Christ's glory more than your own. That's tough. It's tough because we like to create our own little kingdoms and sit on the throne of our own little worlds. And if you have children, you'll see this come to life in a painful way. Where you're like, be quiet. I'm like, why? Because I want to have fun. I don't, shh. I deserve silence. Why? Because I'm a benevolent dictator. And I, I brought you life. You're welcome. Now breathe and eat and live and survive. But shut your mouth. For now I want silence. I'm like, why? I don't know why. I can't answer that question when my kids are looking. But like, dad, why, why can't we just play? I don't know. I just think my will should trump yours. That's all I got. That's it. We want to sit on the, on the thrones of our own little kingdoms. And it plays out in every area. It's why we know better than all of our bosses in the history of the world. We have such better insight than all of our friends. It's amazing. We're really incredible, aren't we? It's not that easy to say, I want to love Christ's glory than, more than my own. In verse 15, as it, as it goes on, as Paul goes on, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. What Paul is saying here, if you look at it in, in the context here, he's in prison and he's saying, hey, just so you know, there are some preachers that are really taking advantage of the fact that I'm in prison right now, and I know it. They're, out of envy and rivalry, they're preaching. Paul is saying other preachers are happy that he's in prison. We learn a couple things here. One, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. Isn't that interesting? You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and that's called sin. That's, 
mind-numbing sometimes if you think about it. Like, wait, you can preach the gospel and advance the kingdom for the wrong reason. And it's sinful. It's a heart condition. I got to be honest with you. If I'm sitting in prison with my back torn open and I'm, I'm bleeding and, and, and I'm in prison for preaching the gospel and other people are like, yes, I'm so excited. Praise God. Now is my time to shine. Maybe I'm a little bitter, a little angry, hurt. I mean, at the very least, I assume betrayed. But nope, not Paul. How does Paul respond in verse 18 as he goes through this scripture that I read earlier? He says, what then? What then? So if all these people are benefiting off of me being in prison, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. In that, I rejoice. He's able to rejoice. Paul finds joy not because he likes the situation, not because he's okay with the circumstances. Like he's not saying, what then? I actually like it. No, he's saying, what then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, from a negative place or a positive place, if Christ is being proclaimed in that, I'm going to find joy. He's not morbid here. He's not upset. He's not twisted through his perspective. He's just coming to a place of Christ-centered perspective, and he's saying, but because the gospel is being advanced, I'm okay. Perspective. He put the gospel ahead of his comfort and his ease on the list of priorities of life. And the result is joy. In that I rejoice. You see, sometimes we, we, we want joy to be the beginning. We want to find joy. And so we say, listen, our circumstances need to change. But like I started this with our, our perspective, our perspective informs our circumstances. And as a result, we either find joy or we find despair. The outcome is joy or despair. So with his circumstances unchanged, his reaction to his circumstances advances the gospel as well. Isn't that interesting? It's not just that the gospel is being advanced by what those people are doing, but it actually says that the way he's responding to this wrongdoing is leading people from the entire imperial guard to Christ. So the way he's responding to his situation is a testimony of his life. His life in the midst of difficulty, his joy in his circumstances is what a testimony is to those around him, and it's advancing the gospel. You can't always change your circumstances. And if you expect God to change your circumstances, um, you might very often be filled with despair. But you can change your perspective. You can change your perspective. If you want to change your perspective, we simply need to increase our proximity to Jesus. And for those that might say, listen, it's too hard. I'm not interested in, in exchanging that, what I that which I have for something someone is promising to be more valuable. I want to tell you, it's not striving. It's something that's already done. Jesus has already lived the life that you cannot, and he died the death that we all deserve. 
And so he's imparting that upon us today. And so today we might say, listen, I want to I try to hold on to the, to the joy that I'm trying to find. I want to hoard my things. I want to continue to live the life that I want to live. And, and God's saying, listen, if you, just, if you just give me that, I'll give you something way more valuable. And we're saying, I'm not so sure I can trust you. That's what I was saying to my dad that day, that story. I'm holding two quarters in my hand, and, and really what I'm saying is, Dad, I'm not, I'm not sure I can trust you right now. I'm not sure that my relationship with you is strong enough to, to give over my treasure because I'm not certain I can trust you. He obviously was trustworthy. And I want to tell you this morning, God's trustworthy. And if you have to go the long way around to figuring that out, then take the long road. But I want to tell you, it's not too hard. It's something that's already done. It's out of relationship. And if, you, if you're trying to change your behavior, it's, the outcome is really one of two things. Either despair because you'll fail. I'm going to be a better person, be a better person, be a better person. I failed. I'm a terrible person. Or pride when you succeed. You can't work out your own salvation. You have to find your joy in your identity as child of God. My children, they, their identity is my child. They could never behave badly enough for me to revoke my love from them. Will I get frustrated? Oh, yeah. Oftentimes, my frustration is because they're walking through pain they don't have to walk through if they would only listen to me. Because I have a different perspective than they have. And they're just looking at their circumstances and they're saying, but dad, I just, I want to go. No, listen, I have a perspective you don't have. Don't walk through the pain. It's not necessary. But what's never up for grabs is my love for them. And so I want to tell you this morning, if, if you rest with your identity as child of the living God, you don't have to worry about whether your love, that God's love for you, is up for grabs. It's a done deal. Would you trust his perspective through your circumstances? That's the gospel. And so I want you to consider something as you leave here today. I want you to consider this. How does the gospel change my perspective on my situation? Think about your circumstances, your situation. Maybe it's a good time right now. There's a ton of joy. Maybe things are going right. How does the gospel inform that? What impact? How does it change my perspective on my situation? Because sometimes we think, oh, the gospel has to inform my situation when I'm in the midst of, of depravity or despair or pain or hurt. But that's not the case. The gospel is still applicable when we're in our mountaintop moments, when things are good. The thing is that sometimes we're just enjoying the ride so much that we forget that maybe, maybe we need to think about the situation differently. And so I ask you, how does the gospel change your perspective on your situation? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. And if you're easily distracted like me, you can just stare at the ground because if I shut my eyes, I'll be like, dog, tree, birds. Either way, the, the point is that you just create margin right now within, in your seat and just kind of close out the distractions. Because I want you to think about 
what this text requires of you. Because regardless of, of where you are this morning, the text requires something from us. And so for you this morning, maybe it means crossing that line of faith. Maybe it means saying, listen, I'm, I'm done kind of playing this game with God where he does enough good to where maybe then I can trust him. Instead, today, I just, I want to trust him. I want to surrender my life to him. If that's you this morning, I just, I want you to slip up your hand so I can agree with you. I won't embarrass you or call you up. I just want to agree with you. And if there isn't anybody, we'll move on. But if you're here, you can slip up your hand. I'll say, okay, move on. Okay. For everyone else in the room, I want you to consider this. If you, if you claim to be a Christ follower, if you're here this morning and say, no, my, my response isn't to cross the line of faith. I've done that. Is it possible this morning that your response is to increase your proximity to Jesus? That he needs to change your perspective. That maybe this morning you have to lay aside your efforts. Maybe this morning you have to, to pray a, a prayer similar to this. Lord, will you just, will you show me how you see me? Will you show me who I am to you? Maybe this morning it means kind of prying your hands open of whatever treasure you've locked in your palm. That you've said, I, I could never, I could never exchange that. Maybe God's asking you to trust him with something you're not willing to trust him with. Maybe that's your application this morning. For others of you in the room, you might sit and say, no, I've, I've crossed that line of faith and I increase my proximity. Every, every day I speak the gospel to myself. I, I remind my heart and my mind what it is to, to increase proximity to Jesus. If that's you this morning and you have that mindset, I want to challenge you to say, God, will you give me pers perspective to live on mission like never before? Would you, would you help me to see things that only you see? Would you help me to change my position, maybe my influence to further your kingdom? Maybe on a mountaintop experience, God, would you, would you help me to look around at others that are in the valley? I don't know what that looks like, but I know the Spirit of God knows. And I know that he's whispering it to you even now as I speak. So I want to challenge you as we go into a time of worship to lay the busyness of your life aside, to find contentment in God's presence, and to ask him to realign your perspective. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. Lord, I thank you for who you are and what it is that you've done on our behalf, for us, for me, for our loved ones, for this community, for this region and surrounding communities. Lord, I pray that as we increase our proximity to you, that you would show yourself present like never before. That you'd reveal yourself to be the Lord and leader that we know you to be. And so we lay ourselves down for your glory. In your name we pray.